Welcome to Middle-Aged Wisdom. I'm Nancy, and I'm a dentist. I'm Dave, and I'm an engineer. We're here to share what we've learned about life, business, and leadership. Join us as we try to figure it all out. What it takes to live our best lives. Welcome to episode 23 of the podcast, Middle-Aged Wisdom. It's Christmas week here, and we thought we'd do a fun episode about jobs that we've both had in the past, what we've learned from them, why we think it's important to have our kids eventually have these types of jobs, not necessarily the same ones, but why we just don't want our child in particular to just go on a free ride into college without ever experiencing any of these, even though maybe she doesn't have to. I don't know, Nance. I think it's about time she started uh, contributing around here. (laughs) (laughs) We do actually have little jobs for her, like we mentioned before. She picks out the toy bin at the dental office and, you know, she does some stuff for our videos on occasion. She might make a little guest appearance in next week's podcast. Yeah, I would say for me growing up, uh, my dad went to work. He was in military. Okay. So I couldn't just like go to work with dad day sort of thing, but he would leave in the morning to go to work before I woke up and then he'd come home right before dinner. And he was a very stoic, quiet guy. So I really never is. knew he is. A stoic. He, he still hasn't is. changed. Yeah. 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 And I never really knew anything really about what he actually did. So I think at a minimum for us, like with, with our daughter, Cece, is it you know, at least she's getting to see how what we do to make make a living and and what sort of work we actually do. She's getting exposed to that. But she doesn't know the path that it took to get there. No, she does not. <laughs> Our careers are like trees. They didn't just like become these like twenty or thirty, you know, these thirty foot tall trees just one day, <laughs> right? right. So as you're listening to this episode, we always like to give a little bit of substance, even though we're trying to make it really fun and lighthearted. But think about what you would like your kids to do. Do you want them to just go into college or a trade or into a business right out of high school? Or do you want them to have these types of odd jobs or maybe give them a little something that helps build character? Yes, yes. Formative experience. That first time you get to deal with an irate customer and you're just you're just like a 16 year old with the awkward Adam's apple and pimples and you're like, I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'd also say that having had a lot of different odd jobs, I think helps give a person empathy for different kinds of work and how there's dignity in any kind of job. Like, because anybody who's got a job is because somebody has money and they need somebody to do something for them. And all work is meaningful and dignified. Dave, what's your first job? I waited tables mm-hmm. at a at a little Mexican restaurant. And that, this is gonna sound kind of weird because I, I have a job as an engineer now and I deal with you know millions and millions of dollars on projects and things like that, but things go at their own speed, right? But when you wait tables, that for me was the most intense job experience I ever had. Well, everything is so fast paced. I did, I did waiting at tables when I was in dental school as well, and then I'll get on to what else I did as far as that goes. But it's so quick paced. Yeah, I mean, when you had your section, so as a waiter, you'd have a section of certain tables, and when those tables were full, it 
just the the sheer short-term memory I had to keep going just to remember and prioritize what table needed what, who needed water, who needed their bill. And back then we didn't have this electronic system to uh, automatically tab build the the tab. Right. And so when people wanted me to split bills, that led to me being in the back having to do math by hand with a little calculator writing right. out which person had what order and Oh man, that which was... takes a solid five minutes probably to figure it all out, which is five minutes that you could have been tending to someone else and probably have gotten five things done in that time. Yeah, like five minutes is an, an eternity when you have like six or seven tables. It's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. So that really taught me multitasking, prioritization, thinking on your feet. Okay, so Nance, what would be what would be your first? Well, mine, my very first job was my dad was a caterer. My parents, I should say, together owned a catering business. My dad was the cook, and he um, gave me my first job when I was probably I think I started helping when I was about twelve. I would put down the utensils for a wedding, so I would do. I learned the platter and then the fork, the fork, the knife, the spoon, the spoon, the dessert on top, the coffee cup where that goes and then I would wait tables when I think I was about 14 maybe 13 14 going into ninth grade high school is when I started formally waiting tables at funeral dinners at weddings at birthday parties all these types of things I've learned so much from this job number one is failing (laughs) because you must accept responsibility and be accountable for what you do wrong for example Have I spilled chocolate sauce on someone's outfit? I have. Mm. Have I spilled coffee droplets on someone's outfit? I have. (laughs) Coffee. On different occasions. That's that's not fun to get spilled on you. Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. No one else did it. I can't say, oh gosh, that person in the back, you know, (laughs) darn it. The cook staff, the kitchen's behind, you know. (laughs) Right. Darn it. Nope. It was my fault. And so you learn very, very quickly to apologize for your action profusely, make it right, and most of the time people are very gracious and they know that it was a mistake and as long as you try to make it right you learn that very young and that will be a trait that you will have for the rest of your life another trait nance has for the rest of her life from that experience is is at a dinner party she is prone to whip out a a napkin an array of napkin <laughs> folding tricks and people are just it's always a hit and everybody's like how do you know how to do that and she'll like do these crazy things with napkins and everybody always is so impressed by that's that that's so fun i didn't know you were going to say that <laughs> yes i do love napkin folding so anytime we're out for dinner with me and there is a lulling conversation you can guarantee if there's a linen napkin i will grab it and start folding it in all sorts of configurations <laughs> it's, it's like napkin origami yeah. <laughs> so we had an instance where you were the res- eating out a couple of years ago where yeah. you were on the receiving end of somebody spilling something on you. I was. I had my favorite coat of all time, which eventually, um, I don't even, I think the pocket tore or something, something that couldn't be repaired um, in a very big way. But I had this beautiful white coat. We had gone out for a celebration, someone's birthday or I don't know, an anniversary or something. And we had a bottle of wine at the table, red wine. And the man that was waiting on us had just, I don't know if he spilled or it, he was. It was actually the manager of the restaurant who was, was pouring the, the wine for you. But did he, I don't remember if he poured it and then like little speckles came on my jacket or how it happened. But in any event, it was very apparent that on my white coat, there was red wine. Just, it looked like someone 
threw, you know, it looks like it was fur and someone threw like, you know, the, I was in a protest. <laughs> it, was, it was like a coat, white coat murder scene. It was yes. just, nope, it wasn't good. It was bad. Yeah. And he was so embarrassed and he looked at me and he goes, oh my goodness, I will pay for the dry cleaning. And he had an accent and he goes, I would bleed to pay for your dry cleaning. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. No one needs to no, go into this. It's totally fine. No like, bleeding. We don't need to draw blood over this. said you were sorry. I've been there before. I've done this before. This is me. Karma paying me back for being other people being so gracious to me. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. And they gave us so many free things that night. It was so nice of them. Yeah. But those experiences in my past definitely paved the way into that experience for me. And probably being so nice to him back meant he gave us a little extra something for free. Right, right. <laughs> Which was also very nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number three. Okay, so my next one would be, uh, and this would be my first ever job, was I detasseled corn. I didn't even know what this was until Dave, Dave had explained it to me. And I still don't really know. It has something to do with helping the corn reproduce where you go along and on the top of a full-on grown corn stalk, you pluck off a part on the top, right? And I grew up in rural Nebraska, and this was, as a 12-year-old, you could go out and make decent money as a farmhand in the summer. And I learned the how grueling, hard farm labor is in the heat of Nebraska summer. Oh, my right. goodness. Right. It has to be so hot. Um, in, and Nebraska is humid. It's when Even when it's in the 80s, it feels like it's 100. Yeah, it's, it's as humid as like Florida. I mean, it is that humid. And then you get down in the corn and these corn rows just go for miles. And it was, I also learned a little bit about hydration in that experience that nobody, nobody really told me that soda wasn't hydrating. <laughs> and so the one day I about had a heat stroke because I hadn't brought any water. I'd only brought, I bought three sodas for my, soda. oh my, my hydration. <sighs> yeah. And I about had a heat stroke. So I learned the value of hard farm labor doing that and that I didn't want to have to do that forever. What a good experience, though, because then it appreciates, I mean, look at all the food that we get from farm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So much. And it's hard work that goes into that. But we get the purest of food from them and all that goes into it. So, Nance, number four. This one probably it hits home for a lot of people out there. This one is retail. I worked in retail. I. It's so funny because my parents, they wanted me to, of course, work in the family business, but I wanted to make money like that was my I was very motivated to buy clothes in high school I was very motivated to buy new shoes or new track shoes or the best track shoes or whatever it was or those cool jeans with the right you know logo on the back the which is a big cheese. yeah big thing in the 90s right like I wanted I wanted I, I liked the labels back then so um, it was very motivating for me to work more and I chose to work in Bath and Body Works at, in Pennsylvania, and then also Abercrombie and Fitch. The interesting thing is, and, and everybody can probably relate to this, I will never look at a shirt again, pick it up off the counter or the rack, and not refold it. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Because once you, especially during the holidays when people are just picking up things and they don't know the size of the person and they're picking and holding and can I imagine joe in this or can i imagine bob in this or whatever it is then they just throw it back on the counter or the shelf i will never do that um not that i expect all of you to refold everything but just something to consider 
that someone has to then go through and make them look perfect by the end of the night. And sometimes Nance applies that thinking to our, our household. If perhaps <laughs> there are some clothes on the floor and she has maybe the less patience for it. I do, I do love folding. <laughs> maybe but, that's from then. But what did you uh, what did you learn about how to show up and look at work? Out of that? Right. So you have to, especially at Abercrombie & Fitch, they would want you to show up and look the look. Right? You had to look like one of the models? You did. You yeah. had to wear, they wanted you to wear their clothes or something that looked very much like their clothes. They gave you a very small stipend. I think it was maybe $100 when you first signed on to work for them to buy some of the clothes. But every stinking paycheck went to look like the look. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, then their clothes were expensive. But I thought that's what you said you wanted. That is what I wanted, but I needed like a little bit extra, yeah. to, you know? So, I mean, it was going in there. And this was when, I'm trying to, I don't remember how old I was when I did that job. I think I was in college. But I would have liked to have a little bit of a paycheck, but literally everything went too close. Did they, uh, did they come around and say, Nancy, I don't think you're showing enough Abercrombie and Fitch flair today. They did. And my <laughs> shoes. They even looked at my shoes. One time, um, the black clogs were really in then. And that was in the 90s as well. Yeah. And they were really in. And I remember one time having a brown clog. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No. No, we need a black clog. Do you have a coworker like pull you aside like Nance, the manager? The manager is going to talk to you. No, the manager, manager. The manager you. flat out talked like, to me. Like just steer clear of the manager; they're going to come find you. <laughs> no, it was it was I, I didn't last very long there because I was like, this job is going to make me go broke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in any event, at our office, um, our dental office, we pay for the uniforms because we want them to look a certain way. We want them to be clean and polished, and we want them to be cleaned our way and to have them ready for them to wear the next day. And and looking nice and the same so we provide the uniform so something to consider that if you want this should go out to corporations not that corporations are going to listen to this but if you want your employees to look a certain way you should pay for it yes okay number five number five this this might be my my favorite youth youth time job which was i was a clerk at a video store rental store remember right. those i do remember those be kind rewind yeah that's oh man we had this little um, rewinder, automatic rewinder that was in the shape of the Batmobile. It was, it would sit on the counter and half the people would not rewind their darn VCR tapes. It was so annoying. It just takes a minute. Yeah. We're really dating ourselves here. Yeah. What did I learn from that? I, I really, that was formative for me in, in developing my love of movies because I got to just, you know, put on whatever movie I wanted within reason, mm -hmm. uh, that was appropriate, uh, and just watch movies. And, you know, of course I had to put movies back and I do actual work, but right. boy, I got to watch so many just random movies that way. It was great. Right. Were you ever surprised at what people would pick? Yeah. I didn't stand out too much for that because you would get to see what people would rent and that sort of thing. But, you know, a couple of things that stood out for me. One, one was I got in trouble once was his dad came back and was really mad at me because I, his daughter and her 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 little boyfriend came and I think I let them get a PG thirteen movie and the dad came back like an hour later and like slammed the tape on the counter and yelled at me and I'm just like I'm sorry they looked thirteen I'm like, it's PG thirteen what do you want me to do <laughs> now you have to censor them yeah apparently I had to also be the uh, the youth censor for what movies they could they could rent but. One thing that happened, and I'm not making this up. This is just a total aside, weird story. But one time, so there's just this counter and there's no like door. You just kind of walk around it. And and then there's all the movies, right? And it was just kind of a small local place. It wasn't like Blockbuster, that sort of thing. And one time, I kid you not, this dude comes in to rent a movie 
and he's got like this leather fedora hat on and this leather trench coat and he had a freaking pet mountain lion <laughs> how did you how could you confirm it was a mountain lion well mountain lions it's le- i mean like they're pretty what else what if it was a big dis- cat they're pretty distinctive and luckily it was like it was a young one because this thing was probably 30 or 40 pounds you know it wasn't like a full-on couple hundred pound mountain lion mm-hmm. But he had this like crazy harness on it. But then he let it go and he let it just like wander around the store and it walked behind the counter and sniffed my leg. <laughs> and I'm just like sitting still. I'm like, you're a statue. You're a statue. <laughs> <laughs> look bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Look taller. Just like look mean. And then, and then it just kind of wandered off. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your movie. Just, you don't have to pay for it. Just go. Just go. <laughs> oh, these are funny. Okay. Okay, on to uh, number six. My next one is also included in my parents' business was in the summertime, they would do a lot of weddings, but they're often on weekends. No one really had during the week weddings. And they were sandwich makers. Um, We did a couple of different summer programs. And there's a lot of camp and youth programs during that time where they would need lunches made. And so my family were the ones that did a lot of these lunches. Well, the thing with the sandwich maker is depending upon what you did that day, so for example, if you had a sub, um, I know some people call them euros, some people call them um, hoagies, some people call them sub, whatever, whatever you call them, whatever part of the world. Long sandwich. Long sandwich. Subs. They, um, our wake up call, like our start time was 5 a.m. Because you, were they for that day's lunch? They were for that day. They were always made fresh. That day. That yep. day. And so, it, but it required not only making the sandwich fresh, but then also bagging the milk, the juice, the fruit, and the other things that some some of them got desserts in the bag as mm-hmm. well. So we did all that. Yeah. So making the sandwich would take quite some time. It would usually take like an hour and a half, two hours, because we were making close to a thousand of them, right? Um, sometimes even more. So that would mean that you'd wake up very early. This is my one thing. Number one, time management. Early wake up times, you get a ton done because I was done my shift at 10 a.m. So I'd work five hours from like five to 10 or six to 10 or whatever it was. And then oftentimes, depending upon when I got old enough to drive, then I would drive them as well. And then I was done around noon, but that's a whole day shift. And I have the entire day. So my girlfriend and I used to go golfing. We used to go to the pool. We would do all these fun things because I had the entire time. The one thing you cannot do when you have an early morning job is you cannot party when I got to be of age and I was able to go out and I still had this summer job, you cannot party and then expect to go to work at 5 a.m. and expect to show up. Yeah. If I didn't work for my father, I would have surely been fired. <laughs> so this little thing, Nancy, we like to call personal responsibility. Exactly. And I'm sure my dad can tell you a lot of different stories about how this all went down, but so many times I would come in and I was just so tired and so lethargic. Now being a boss, if one of my employees came in that way, they wouldn't last a day. Number seven. Number seven for me was I refereed youth sports. I refereed youth sports. I did soccer and baseball. Okay. And I think what I learned about that is it's really easy to screw up <laughs> if you're a referee. I bet. Because <laughs> it's all in real time. You don't get to do instant replay. You get one shot and you saw what you saw and you make the call. And you have to be on it 100% of the time, right? Because people are counting on you. You don't know when that play is going to happen. You don't know when they're going to go out of bounds, like all those things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be fully 
present, paying attention and doing your best. And that anybody who yells at referees, I just have very little patience for that, that yes, referees screw stuff up and it's annoying, but they're human. And even the ones that get paid money to do it, like it's impossible to do it perfectly. It right. just is because it happens in real time, happens once and it happens real fast. What's why a lot of the pros have multiple, I mean, four referees at one time. Right? Oh yeah. They got all these eyes watching it and then right. they have these they little it. conferences. Yeah. But when you're, you know, refereeing little kids, soccer, baseball, there's, there's just you, there's maybe right. you and maybe one other person. And then you'd also have these parents that take it a little too seriously acting mm -hmm. like it's the Super Bowl and it's eight year olds out there running around in a cloud of dust following the soccer ball around and right. Just, just get exercise. Just but. chill, people. You know, if you uh, if you yell at ref, refs as a parent, you're kind of teaching your kid that too, and that's probably not the best. It's just not worth it, and you're not teaching your kids the right thing. So leave the refs alone. <laughs> <laughs> Message of the day. That's right. That's right. Okay, number eight. Number eight. I was a law office clerk. What does this mean? There is the lawyer, the attorneys. There is the paralegal, and then there was me. So I was kind of third on the totem pole. I was in college at the time. So this is at the time that I was, I told you, I was kind of a workaholic. I did school and then I did Abercrombie and Fitch and then I did um, Bath and Body Works and then I did the law office and then I would go home and work for my parents. No surprise that we're doing a podcast and I have another job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a trend, Nancy. I'm sensing a trend. <laughs> So at the law office, I would do a lot of their typing of their legal documents. They did real estate. And so <clears throat> they would have many documents that were hundreds of pages long. And sometimes they would need to be retyped or um, edited or whatever it was for this particular new place. There's a basic template, but sometimes you'd have to edit them and then copy them and print them and make multiple copies and then mail them out to the person that needed to sign them and all that kind of stuff. Of lots and lots of paper. Lots of paper. And that was my job. But... It's so interesting because they knew I wanted to go into dentistry, but they hired me, I think, because they thought I was responsible, which I was. I showed up to work all the time. I never called in sick. I was always there. And they were so nice to me. And I have to say that it made me appreciate that I think attorneys get a bad reputation sometimes just for, um, but I think it's so isolated, those types of people. I think in general, they showed me that they were so kind-hearted, so nice. They were so good at what they do. And I never really understood what a real estate attorney did. And I thought that was the coolest thing. They did um, retail shops. And so that was kind of fun to learn about. So did they teach you, did they make you feel valuable even though you were like kind of the lowest person on the totem pole? Totally. Yeah. Totally. They made me part of their holiday party. They, um, I watched their kids sometimes on the weekends if they needed um, some babysitter time. I thought that that was just really, they made me feel part of the team. Despite me being a part-time worker, despite me going on to a different career, they knew they were going to lose me at some point in time when I graduated, but I stayed there for three years and they were only supposed to hire me, I think for a summer. And um, I ended up staying there the entire time until I graduated. So I think that's great like that they sort of taught you early on the value of making everybody feel valued because if you have all these people working for you, no matter what position they hold, they mm -hmm. all serve, they're all serving a role that you need. Right. And everybody matters and is No matter important. how high or low on the totem pole they are. That's right. So did you learn anything from babysitting just as an aside? Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was in college and I was not ready to be a mother. That's what you learned? Oh yeah. And like, I had a nanny oh, job man. too. <laughs> oh, I had a nanny job. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And now I'm just thinking back and I'm like, I probably... 
maybe I should have focused on school a little bit more. <laughs> I think it turned out okay, but I think it worked out in the end. But I was a nanny too. And yeah, yeah and I nannied for, um, yeah, they were funeral directors and it was this beautiful family. And my friend and I, we both nannied for them after school for a few hours until dinner time. We got their dinner ready and left after dinner. I was not ready for a child. Like, and I, that's, I cannot, I cannot have a child at this age. <laughs> that probably scared me. I mean, I didn't start even trying to have a child until I was in my like mid thirties. <laughs> it probably scared me for life. <laughs> Maybe too much of a good thing. Maybe yeah. it's too much of a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Number nine. Okay. Number nine for me, this would be lifeguarding. Lifeguarding is kind of funny because you picture Baywatch and the slow motion run along oh, the beach yep. and you're going to be heroes and there's going to be babes in swimming suits. And you know what it was? <laughs> what was it was it? by the end of the summer, you really felt like you were at the daycare. Yeah. That's pretty much what it felt like. Right. I yeah. was a lifeguard in, oh my, that was another, oh. <laughs> I don't even, as I'm recalling this and we didn't have oh, this yeah. plan. This is all, everything we're saying is on a whim. So I'm yeah, kind of thinking of yeah. this as we go along, but I also did lifeguard after the summers when I made the lunch program, I would go to the pool and that was one of my drop off spots and I would lifeguard afterwards. Yeah. But wouldn't parents just drop the kids off and not see them again until five o'clock? Yeah, I grew up in a small town of like 5,000 people and you could pretty much ride your bike throughout the whole town. So any kid that was pretty much 10 and up, they usually came to the pool on their own. And by the end of the summer, there were certain kids, you were just so tired of no, their, their it hijinks. it would be raining. In your town, would, because we grew up in different areas. I grew up yeah. in Pennsylvania, Dave grew up in Nebraska. In your area, would it would be raining and you'd be like, yes, it's a, it's a rain day. We can and then, close. And then certain kids would show up. Yeah, and then they would be so mad that the pool was closed. I'd be like, right. sorry, dude, it's lightning. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and they'd be the first ones back as soon as the storm um, would pass and the pool opened back up. They'd be the first ones back. Some lived across the street. It gave me an appreciation for daycare and childcare people because that's that's kind of what it felt like. I, I would also say that it was boring 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 all mm -hmm. the time you're just kind of looking around at the kids but then was. Every, there was like two or three times i actually had to go into the water and and help a kid who you know nobody ever like really had a something bad happen but they were like in danger right, right. and uh you know the people were always so grateful that to know that you were actually actually paying attention and not just sitting up there snoozing so that was right that was gratifying that was gratifying all right so number 10. number 10. i saved this one for last because it pertains to my job I was a faculty dental assistant. What that means is in our dental school, the last two years of school, my junior and senior year, we were able to um, work in the faculty practice if we wanted to. So a lot of the teachers and professors of the school actually held office hours in this particular clinic. So they, they would see patients. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if a patient came in and they wanted to see an experienced dentist versus a student dentist, because obviously we took forever yeah. to complete a procedure. So if they had like a time crunch or a certain time they need to come in, they can schedule with the faculty. So I was an assistant. So I was an assistant for a couple of years. I was the worst dental assistant of all time. So much so, um, I was trying to think back. I think I got sent home once because the dentist would have rathered worked alone than with me. <laughs> like your assistance is no longer needed. Right, right. <laughs> what did you gain from that experience? I believe it made me a very empathetic boss. 
Mm. So with my assistants, I have one assistant now that works with all three of us doctors in our practice. And I think for her to just on a whim be able to adapt um, she works with two left-handed dentists and one right-handed dentist. So she has to change her mindset about how to hand instruments and how to suction and how to play off of the dentist that she's working with for that day. She has to switch up the rooms. So she's not always in one particular room. She's in different rooms at different times. If that was me in that faculty practice, which it was, I'm sure a couple of times, I'm so discombobulated that I just, my brain just doesn't work like that. So I think it's really made me appreciate the work that the girls do for us. I mean, they're so, so good at what they do. And I think that it's given me empathy. So I guess my advice would be that if you hold a position in a certain job or you're a boss of someone, be an apprentice of some sort at some point in time so you know how to treat your people. Yeah, just how powerful it is to have done all of the jobs of the people you are overseeing. Right. Yeah, Yeah. like I have done what you do and I... Right. I know. <laughs> right. Good or bad, right? So, yeah. I mean, if they're not doing it, I've done that before and I know you can do it. Yeah. Or I've done that before and yes, I know it's really hard. Yeah. It just inherently is going to give you more credibility than if you haven't. Right. Yeah. So, I hope you all were entertained by hearing about some of the formative jobs that Nance and I held and really how they helped make us who we are because we weren't always these really polished professionals that we Is that are what we are? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've gotten there yet either. <laughs> you never quite arrive, do you? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also for those people that maybe are still searching for a career choice, that um, it's important to know that not everyone just lands in the perfect career right away. Sometimes it takes a lot of different tries to get to where you're supposed to be, but everything serves a purpose. Everything gives you a reason. You will look back and say, that is why I was there for that reason. I was there to learn empathy. I was there to learn understanding. I was there to treat people with respect no matter what they did. You always learn something from every career choice that you have. And for those parents out there, we can't speak highly enough for how valuable it is to have odd jobs, just how formative and how much you grow through those experiences. So for all of you out there, be safe this holiday season, be nice to each other, respect each other, and have a Merry Christmas. 